pickaxe. With every monthly bill, like rent and car payments, you know exactly what you're getting when you pay for it. But health insurance plans feel like the total opposite. They're confusing and expensive. Then when you actually have to use your benefits, there are deductibles, claims, processes, and other red tape to deal with. But CrowdHealth puts you back in control of your health care. CrowdHealth is simple, transparent, and affordable. As a member, you'll get a personal care advocate who is with you every step of the way to help navigate the complexities of health events. They'll even negotiate bills on your behalf and could save you thousands of dollars in the process. Plus, you'll get access to thousands of other members who are ready to help pay for large health expenses. Experience healthcare freedom with CrowdHealth. Visit joincrowdhealth.com and use code HEALTH to get your first three months for just $99 per month. That's joincrowdhealth.com code HEALTH. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for health care. Terms and conditions may apply. Howdy, everybody. I was lucky enough to be a guest on Behind the Screens over on the Darkmore Podcast Network. You may remember them from a crossover we did uh, about a month ago or so. Uh, I told them that I would be happy to put this in our main feed just so I know you guys have a chance to hear it. If you want to hear more stuff like that, please head over to the Darkmore Podcast Network and check out all their other shows. That being said, I'll get out of the way and let you listen to this bonus content. Bye, guys. This show is part of the Darkmore Podcast Network. To join our community Discord or see more content from our members, visit darkmorepodcasts.com. Hello everyone, this is Ian from DM Shower Thoughts, where we find our best selves through gaming. Today we're back with another segment of Behind the Screens. I am here with my friend and DM Jason, host of Dungeons and Randomness, and we're going to be holding an interview to talk about DM styles, their content on DNR, and what it's like being a professional D&D content creator. Hello Jason. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? I've been running DNR now for almost nine years. It'll be nine years in April. Uh, we've been pretty much endlessly creating content since that time. We don't really take seasons off or anything like that. Uh, and if we do take a little time off in the podcast, there's always stuff on the Patreon. Um, we've been pretty darn lucky in what we do. Uh, myself and my partner get to create D&D content like every day so that is nothing I saw myself being able to do as a profession when I was younger and I I pretty much love every day of it um there are 11 groups I'm currently running uh oh, wow yeah four on the main show so um there's our homebrew world of Theria we've been building that for nine years and four groups are exploring the world at any given time on the main show and it's one concurrent timeline so they can interact with each other they could do things to affect the world and that's pretty much the basis of the show and we've had we've had a, a ton of adventures and crazy moments since 2012 that's a that's amazing honestly like i can't even imagine running uh the same homebrew 
uh, world for nine years, like just because I have only just started like a year and a half ago, uh, personally. <laughs> right. And it, it's totally preference too. like, I know people who like to, you know, start a new thing every six months or just they have an idea for a setting and they want to do something new. So it's it's totally based on what you're into. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, DM Shower Thoughts is just a discussion podcast, but we have been, uh, or I have been, rather, producing some uh, actual plays recently. I just did, like, a little four-part mini-saga. Uh, it's on the DMST feed now uh, for Icewind Dale, so okay. using a module there as opposed to a homebrew world, but it's uh, it was still really cool. And just considering how much effort it took to produce that, I can imagine... Uh, just like how much you guys are doing for uh, 11 campaigns, four of them airing on the podcast. Uh, I do like for that, that was just like a small mini project, but um, I had sound effects. I had music from Elder Scrolls uh, because I love the Elder Scrolls. Oh, totally. It wasn't even uh, like the, the canon Elder Scrolls. I think it was recompositions by a different person from the Beyond Skyrim Bruma mod, uh, which was absolutely beautiful it's amazing how they revamped all those uh old tracks and uh yeah like sound effects like combat effects uh the sound of like ambience like water on the you know a boat on water wind uh you know going through the caves little like ghostly moans and things like that mm -hmm. it, it was it was intense and i enjoyed every moment of it because it felt like a like the purest sense of a passion project that I've ever done, but you're doing this for your livelihood, which is amazing. Uh, I can't even imagine all the things that might go into that. What what does your schedule usually look like uh, for a week? I, okay, so, good lord. I, so we're running the four different groups on the main feed. Um, we're doing... Uh, it'll be three campaigns that are on our Patreon, and I'm also doing three campaigns that are just for patrons, right? We have high-level patrons, and I play in games just for them, specifically wow. uh, engineered and everything. We're actually doing one tonight live. Um, I've been playing with this group for, good lord, like three years some of them have been in that group? Three, four years? Like, they've been just amazing, and they're coming to the end of this this long dungeon crawl and i kind of offered it's like hey i could stream this for everybody if you if you guys are into it it's my my weeks are very largely scheduled out um yeah getting a day off can be kind of tricky because obviously we record a lot on the weekends but weekdays are usually editing and everything else that goes running into a business which i never went to school uh, for business i never like it's stuff that you just kind of pick up i'm i'm much better at making stuff than i am advertising it uh or you know building something like that it's it's much more i'm i'm much more to the creative side of it than actually building a sustainable business but if you want to pay rent it's very important to learn how to do some of that stuff. Like, yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously there's the audio editing side of it. Um, and then there's, there's so many visual elements you got to get good at. You, you have to, you know, at least know a little bit about designing a website or um, video editing, advertising, social media, all of that good stuff. So it's, you kind of always feel like you're a little behind on something. It's a lot of plate spinning. 
Yeah, yeah, I I can imagine actually that part because with um with DM Shower Thoughts, we've also been uploading a lot of our content lately to YouTube. Uh, we're trying to catch up to the we're trying to catch up to the manga, so to speak, uh, where <laughs> we we're we have all these. Uh, I think we're up to 112 uh, for our episode uh, count right now on the podcast, and then on YouTube, it's only at 104. Okay. So. Uh, but we're releasing twice a week on YouTube and once a week on the podcast. So slowly building that momentum and getting over there. But it's not just the podcast either, because I am also trying to make a lot of like just personal passion projects, creative projects. Oh, yeah. Uh, like like this, uh, <laughs> where I want to I want to add it to our feed. Uh, and so there's a lot of content very consistently going up. I've tried to schedule it uh, to uh you know, make it consistent so that eventually we become quote unquote discovered <laughs> on YouTube. Let's see. There's also the highlights for the podcast. We do a lot of episode highlights, uh, about 10 minutes long or so. Um, that is a lot of fun for me because it's really easy. I just pick a spot in the podcast and I'm just like, this sounds like a good thought. Let's roll with it. And then I put <laughs> a little bit of uh, nice lo-fi music or something in the background. That's how I've been learning all of my editing skills that I, that I've collected uh, over the past year or so. I I don't know, do you use Premiere Pro or do you guys use something else? I use uh I I use Premiere Pro. I used good lord, before that I was using this ancient video software that I think I got <clears throat> and I finally broke down and just signed up with Adobe because it's it's such a better product and I mean, it's 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 relatively inexpensive. Like you know, I mean, yeah. If you do the good plans, the yearly plans, twenty dollars a month or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And you you always have the newest thing. You don't have to worry about it becoming obsolete. But yeah, there's such a learning curve with something like that because there's just oh, yeah. so many features and it's endlessly customizable. And then it comes down to like, what style do you want to do things in? And it's it can be crazy daunting. Yeah, for sure. I I mean, like, I didn't know any of the the hot keys or anything for like cut and the the select keys, and um, I still there's still a lot of things I don't understand about Adobe Premiere Pro. Uh, like the there's like the ripple edit thing, uh, like uh, ripple delete, and I I don't even know what that means. I, I think it's like it affects like everything uh, proceeding it or something like everything after you delete. And I mean, I that's know, why it's... YouTube exists, man. That's why I, I am constantly looking up, to, you know, if I forgot something, it's like, wait, tutorial, hold on a second. Just let me, cause I'd rather take two seconds to look it up than screw up something. You could always undo, but eh. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think there's a thing called masking where you can like take some part of a video and like put it over another part. Oh like, sure. Uh, like in some, of, I, I've seen it. All the good YouTube editors, they they probably know what it is. Um, but yeah, uh, um, bringing it back here, uh, let's let's go back to the beginning. Uh, what uh, what made you ultimately decide to pursue D and D as like your career, basically? Uh, so I know that you've been doing this for nine years, and you said yeah. you didn't expect to do this when you were a kid. Oh no. Um, but was it like the first year, the second year that you were like, you know, this is, I want to do this for my life. I mean, I I had never played D&D before our episode one. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I've I always wanted to. We played video games and stuff and, uh, you know, uh, obviously all the Baldur's Gate stuff and obviously things that are inspired by the Diablo kind of, you know, Diablo. Yeah. Um, yeah. But 
I I just had never played a pen and paper RPG. I'd never had the chance. And uh, I had a group of friends that I was doing another podcast with at the time. And I said, hey, if I if I run this, would you guys hop in? And they all said yes. We we played a few games. I really loved it. So I added a second group um, just because I I got greedy. I wanted to play more. And I just started folding that into the continuity and it it just kind of started working out. I had been working. I, I grew up in Jersey, so I worked a lot of warehouse jobs, um, you know, glass plants, factories, things like that. And I just didn't like what I was doing. I I kind of reached a point in my life where I felt like there was there was some kind of change needed. So um, my my friends were kind enough to help me start a Kickstarter and essentially help me move to California and just start doing this as a thing, like take a swing at it. And it's been, I, I mean, it's bumpy in that you don't know yeah. what you're going to be making month to month. Like it's a completely fluctuates. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, 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 it's chaotic. Uh, but I, it's, it's, been pretty much charting up ever since since we started and again i'm incredibly lucky to get get a chance to do that especially this last year has reminded me every once in a while something will happen it's like hey don't forget how lucky you are to do this because you know it's it's been a crazy journey just learning everything i know now versus what i didn't know in 2012 it's insane yeah, that that sounds really amazing. Uh, like, <laughs> I can't, I haven't uh, ever worked one of those industrial jobs, but like as a as a science major, I've read some of the like hazardous effects of like uh, of working there. So I can imagine that at least this is a little bit more preferable <laughs> than, than oh, something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, anybody who's <clears throat> anybody's worked a physical job, I mean, even something as you know as like pulled muscles or something like that, like it's you know. It's it's just it's not fun, basically. Is what yeah. it breaks down to. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Uh, so these friends of yours, they had their own successful podcast as well. No, was that? I, here's the thing. I I started. So I started DNR, and um, I had been doing a wrestling podcast before that, a pro wrestling podcast, uh, and I had done that since two thousand nine. And, um, I started with that and, you know, we started putting DNR out there and I was having a lot more fun doing DNR than the wrestling stuff. And slowly but surely the people who I added to the podcast, they just became really close friends of mine. They're my family basically is, is how I like to put it. And I've known many of them for, you know, seven, eight, nine years. And, um, uh, my my friend Bree, who eventually became my partner in all this, uh, she helped me put together a Kickstarter. We we planned it all out, and it kind of started out as like, well, okay, if this is successful, do you want to work with me on something, and I'll just kind of pay you? And then that became, it's like, look, this is at least a two person job all the time. Oh yeah, let's just work together, and uh, we eventually moved in together in in California. This is the DNR offices, for lack of a better. <laughs> <laughs> lack of a better term yeah no that's that's really cool uh and so like is it still just a two-person job kind of or are you guys kind of it's em employing other people 
officially, it's still a two-person job because it's we make enough to get by, but it's still kind of lean. So uh, we do have a lovely bunch of interns that started with us uh, called the DNR Knights, and they are helping us uh, reach out to to podcasts like yours and uh, just just kind of meet other people in the community because we've. I feel like we've just been so insulated. There are so many other podcasts out there that it's tough to, it's, it's tough to know who to reach out to or how, you know what I mean? Like who your style is going to blend with or, you know. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I can always see like, you know, everybody do does it uh, differently, you know. Oh, totally. <laughs> like uh, our discussion podcast is similar, for example, to WebDM, but WebDM, they do like, uh, I, I think they cover the content differently, whereas we take a more uh, Western, not Western, Eastern philosophical approach, kind mm. of. Uh, so we like to think about uh, not just compelling storytelling, not just running the game efficiently and, and having a great time, but also thinking, you know, what does that really say about us as people and things like that? Um, so, it, yeah, I can see... Uh, Maybe you've uh, encountered some of these content creators where it just you're you just don't click uh, very well. <laughs> it's like dating in a strange way, right? Like, it's, yeah, you get out there, you start talking to me. It's like, oh, I think we're looking for different things, and you just kind of move on. Yeah, and sometimes that happens, and it's you know it's not a big deal. <clears throat> no, I, I enjoy getting to talk to people about this kind of stuff because, like you said, it feels like you're just kind of isolated from a lot of the other content creators unless you actively seek them out and and all that because it doesn't just happen <laughs> no and it's it's even if you go to cons even if you go to um uh you know gatherings meetings and stuff like that uh, if you just take the podcasts that are in the u.s there are just so many and just like there are different ways to dm there's different ways to run a podcast so it's 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 immeasurable how many different styles there are and i don't have the time to listen to every D podcast i no <laughs> I, you know I, I i listen to mine because i'm editing it that's basically i'm there hosting it and then editing it that's how i know mine so yeah. i don't i i couldn't imagine trying to keep up with all of it yeah yeah just keeping quality control and stuff like that um it just takes up so much time i'm you know i'm part of this darkmore podcast network but even I haven't listened to all the episodes of all the podcasts that we have on there, even though I enjoy a lot of the shows, a lot of them are really great. I just don't, I haven't had the time, uh, especially now in a couple of weeks now, I'll be starting my new job. So I'll definitely not have enough time to, uh, to do as much editing as I am right now. That's why I've tried to create this like backlog kind of thing. Um, so that I can just, uh, let it, uh, let it have some momentum basically. Um, considering how far you've gotten in the D and D scene, uh, would you like to walk us uh, through some of the challenges that you've experienced, but also some of the things that have made it really worthwhile, um, in, uh, in your content creation? I mean, okay. Um, I think a lot of it is stuff that everyone goes through, no matter what kind of podcast you're doing, obviously, <clears throat> um, getting your show, you know, to, to new listeners and transferring what you're doing into some kind of paid model. Cause we knew, we knew really early on that we didn't want to charge anybody for the main show. Uh, we'd never done that before. And we, you know, we, we kind of had a hard stance on it. 
And that meant we had to produce something new. And it's like, well, okay, what would we put on, you know, Patreon? Patreon came out um, right around 2014. We jumped on in June 2014. So we actually got to go to the Patreon offices and talk to people. And, you know, it, oh, was, wow. it was really nice. Um, but we had to come up with some sort of subscription model. It's like, okay, well, what would we put on there? What do we do? Like, it, it's like coming up with a whole new show, basically. Um, <clears throat> and we did that for a lot of stuff. And it's been... It's been something we have to keep up with. Your your patrons kind of got to be fluid. Like you got to change stuff every once in a while. And sometimes you sometimes you're just kind of guessing what people want. Sometimes you guess right. And sometimes you you guess really incorrectly <laughs> and you have to sort of backtrack and figure out where you went wrong. So I think one of the biggest hurdles is trying to balance what you actually you know want to create what you're passionate about and what people want, because you are at the end of the day, you're, you're creating something for listeners, for fans. You, you want to make sure that you're making them happy because you can, you can sit and create the stuff you want all day long. But if it's not something people want to hear, especially your listenership, it's like being a DM. <clears throat> I could sit and write 30 pages of backstory for stuff. If it's not something my players are interested in, they're not going to bite and no one's going to care. And then you're just kind of trapping people in a room and it's not, it's not super fun. Um, uh, Wizards of the coast censor censorship stuff. Like we didn't know we were going to deal with that. Um, at one point, Wizards of the coast copy uh, copyrighted our name. Um, oh really? Yep. When we Dungeons went to register random, yeah, they just and and they'll do blanket stuff like that where they'll just grab 50 names and just copyright. So we couldn't use our name as our business name. We're DNR LLC. We're not Dungeons and Randomness because because of that stuff. And it, it it's weird things you got to deal with that you never thought would be an issue. Um, and, and no matter how many bases you think you have covered. I. There's just going to be something new. And every year, obviously, there's there's something new to deal with just because I think every year as a content creator, people expect you to be better at new stuff, right? You, I don't think you could just do audio anymore. Um, you, you have to be good at – yeah, there's some kind of visual element. Even if it's just advertising on Twitter or Facebook, there are 50 social media sites. Um, you got to be good at running a discord. You've got to be good at, um, you know, obviously polishing audio, making that sound good. And it, it, it's, it's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see that, especially <clears throat> with like, you know, the new, uh, every, I think six months or so, there's a new social media coming out. TikTok being like one of the biggest ones these days and uh i i've said actually to john i was like you know you should do some of your streams on tiktok or whatever or like do like hot you know like those hot takes or something like that on on tiktok and, and maybe we'll get some more uh some more uh, like pr i guess so but uh and i i can see that being a thing because yeah, even if you're like a creative person and and you create this really amazing art and and it is, you know, just objectively amazing, the way social media presents things 
is uh well first of all it has to have instant gratification value and then uh like you know the like button and all that stuff is what i mean and then um and then it also has to be quote unquote entertaining so like even if it's controversial that like draws uh you know that draws clicks that draws likes that draws views uh things like that and it's hard it's hard to find where you should start riding the wave as well when you want to create something like personal like uh like the Icewind Dale uh thing that I did um that was like just a personal project I was like I have some time and I want to run this one shot with a bunch of people from DPN let's see if there's any uh interest in it um and I put you know my heart and soul into it and I I mean, you know, the jury's still out on how well it's being received, but <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it, it was rewarding in and of itself. But also, I know that it wasn't gonna like I, I knew that it wasn't gonna you know make me money or whatever. <laughs> and I think um, that that's <clears throat> I think that's a big mistake that yeah. <clears throat> people who want to do this as their living that's the first thing they think of. It's like, well, how do I make money? And I, you can't start with that. I, I mean, when I started this, it wasn't about making money. It was just about, you know, it was about entertaining folks like me who were driving to a job they hated so that they could just listen to something and kind of distract them. Um, and I, I think that's where you got to start. You build a listenership through that and then see if it has legs. And that could take a year, two years. It, it might be six months and you might have a great, a great listenership, but it's you can't start with i want to make money doing this because i mean there's no profession where you get to do that yeah money's not i mean you know besides for i guess capitalists or whatever but um money is not like a good uh, or it's not a good motivator to me when it comes to you know creating content like like we do you need to start with that creative drive you need to have that good are um interest in expressing yourself artistically in whatever you're gonna do so the podcast is a great example the quality of it depends on how much you put into it and then you can see how it goes from there like you said and so i think that's i think it's really amazing that you've managed to get you know such a large amount of uh you know followers for your podcast uh in in I would say a relatively small amount of time like those I, I know that you only started like nine years ago and nine years is in a lot it's, it's not a small amount of time but like that first those for that first like half I suppose like that first four years or something it sounds like you were really successful in the end uh you were gaining that momentum basically I again it was well okay when we did the first Kickstarter we were like two years into the show and uh we raised uh almost $30,000 which is insane uh, because we weren't for the first kickstarter we were doing you know posters and t-shirts and stickers and all that but we weren't creating something tangible necessarily um we did a kickstarter over a year ago where we were making our first setting book and that was tangible that was that was something where it's like yeah this makes sense and we we worked our we worked our tails off on it and it actually like it came out it came out great but that first kickstarter i had no idea what you know i'd never run a kickstarter i'd never done it anything like that and just the outpouring of support was was absolutely amazing 
and it's something that we we always try to keep up with we we do a survey every year basically and ask it's like hey how are we doing how are we doing here here and here and sometimes the feedback is not what you want but it's what you need so i think that helps kind of keep you plugged in to what what you're doing because we're not seeing it obviously just just like you you're not seeing it from a listener's perspective, you're seeing it from, oh, how long did it take me to edit this? You know, how long was this sitting in the can? How hard have I been trying to push this to get people to listen? So you're not at work listening to this on a dock somewhere. Like it, it helps to get people's opinions like that. Yeah, yeah. And I I think that's, uh, how should I say this? Um, I think it's really good to kind of like take the temperature of your Patreon, so to speak, or take the temperature of your of your listeners and and see how they're really responding, even if uh, you don't like, even if you're only seeing likes or if you're only seeing views, and and they're pretty good and stuff like that. That's not always a you know true indicator of how your audience is receiving your content. So it's, that's a very good idea is having a nice little survey for people to fill out, very anonymous and everything like that. Make some cool charts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> pie graphs and stuff. <laughs> I love information like that. So having a survey out, I'm constantly refreshing just to see. It's like, okay, okay, okay. What do you? Yeah, that's right. That's, and I'm I'm very much the person who, um, I I think I think we're getting close to a thousand reviews on iTunes, and I'm very much the person. It's like, okay, let me see the lowest rated ones. I need to see what people think to to you know I. I I kind of obsess over the negative side of it. Just, I always want to reach out to people. It's like, okay, okay, well, what didn't you like? Like, how could we fix that? How could we improve it? So it's, it could be a really tough thing if, if you want everyone to like you, let's say. It could be a really tough thing to put things out on the internet and actually have them be consumed. Oh yeah, for sure. And there's nothing wrong with uh with having that mindset of seeing the gaps in the system and trying to like fill them in and uh fixing what might not be working as well so that it can catch up with everything that is working well. That's a very valid uh point of view as long as you know you don't like over <laughs> uh, over invest yourself into that into that frame of mind where it's like where it's like oh this just wasn't good enough. Ah! And uh you know, it's as long as you can take some perspective and, and look at the whole thing uh, and see at that, uh, see how that's performing, that that can give you some some hope, I guess you could. Yeah, say. that's the tough part. I, I think there's a really fine line to walk there because. Yeah, <clears throat> I think you want you want to be tied enough. And if you're just talking about Patreon like that's I, I would I would cast it out to anything you put out there. You obviously want people to enjoy it. And you're emotionally tied to it. You, 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 If you put your heart and soul into it, you're really proud of it. You want everyone to like it. So there's going to be some part of you that is really bummed if someone comes back. It's like, one star, I hate this and I hate what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. And I think that there should be some part of you that feels something for that. But you can't spiral if that's the case, you know, because there's got to be a part of you that knows you are never going to please 100% of people. Um, that's why there's 500,000 different D&D &D things, because 
there's something for everyone out there. You know, there's combat heavy podcasts, there's role play only podcasts, there's all female podcasts. There's, you know, it's, there's something for everyone's tastes and walking that line of being invested, but not devastated constantly is, is tricky for a lot of people. It's tricky yeah. for me. I don't want to make it sound like I've got it all figured out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, like just because just because you're successful in this particular area doesn't mean other people can't be successful in other areas and that's that's important to remember um so uh coming back to your custom world uh you currently have a source book for your custom world published on drive through rpg uh called the adventurer's guide to theria what what was it like publishing your own open game licensed material how what was the process and do you do you feel yeah, it seems like you feel this way, but do you feel very rewarded for the energy that you put into it? I mean, that's obviously that was a completely different set of challenges, like just figuring out j just the OGL, like figuring out yeah. what you can say, what you can do, what you can put in there. You know, there's um, there's a, a lovely S SRD website where you can look up a lot of terms and stuff that. Uh, people have kind of figured out over time, you can't say, because I wouldn't necessarily say Wizards is crazy forthcoming. While it is an open gaming license and you could do different stuff, there's no easily digestible set standard. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of legalese and some of that can be difficult to interpret. So early on, um, I think there were people who tried to put out books and they 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 had a hard time. We never received any feedback from wizards. So either we did everything right or they don't care. It's one or the other, which is fine. Um, but the writing process took us quite a while. Uh, myself and Bree were writing articles and stuff. And a third of the book is history. Um, and this this first book covers one continent. There are six continents. So if you do the math, we have at least five more books to make. Um, and we're getting ready to work on our second one now. Uh, it, it was, it was interesting watching it become, it, it was, we had a Google folder the entire time. So it was interesting watching it transform from a ton of word docs into a book. And that's where the amazing cast we have, um, Jameson, uh, it has, comic book connections like he he produces comic books um so he actually knew a ton of artists so he helped work with artists and what they expect and then us paying them uh our friend jasper works in advertising he helped with layout he he laid out an entire book for the first time so every one of us were figuring out at some point in the process of like three years making this book what to do and what not to do and I think we could write a new book based on if we were to hand out advice, it's it's like, hey, here's a list of things not to do. Like, don't do these things. We figured out halfway through. It just doesn't work. And I, I'd like to think our second time through, it would be much more smooth. Um, <clears throat> just just budgeting for everything. And I. <sighs> what the expected turnaround time for stuff was. And then partway through the, the, the Corona stuff happened. So we had no idea what was going on 
um, getting our book shipped from China. And then it it was such a mess. Um, so I, I don't even know where to begin to tell you. It's like, hey, if you were thinking about doing this, I would say start writing and have a ton written first. Uh, we laid out 60 pages of a book before we ever went to Kickstarter. Just to kind of show people, we were obsessed with showing people. It's like, no, no, no. I know this sounds like a lot of work. We can do this. And we're not going to just run off with your money. I know a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth for Kickstarters because all you hear about is like, you know, horror Getting stories scammed. of people yeah. running off with a million dollars or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I've seen a couple <clears throat> of things there. They're especially even for um, even for like renewable energy sources and like ideas for that yeah uh, at least in the like a few years ago or something i saw this one that was like it was a really cool idea it was really great basically uh solar panels for the road <laughs> like oh yeah you make a road out of solar panels <clears throat> and that that that's a great idea and the <laughs> kickstarter you know it, it shot through the roof they made a whole bunch of money off of it but i don't you know, I don't see any, I don't hear anything about solar panels on the road any anymore or anything like that. Right. So I could, it's not, I mean, of course, if I looked into it, I'm sure I would find some stuff, but it just seems like it didn't get off the ground, even with the Kickstarter. So <laughs> that's very unfortunate. <clears throat> um, and uh, yeah, the, especially with how, how uh, viral it is to, you know, just put your signature, quote unquote, your electronic sig signature on uh, petitions and things like that yeah. these days. Everybody is petitioning something for someone or yeah. for an animal or for a <clears> cause. <throat> and, you know, activism is great, but you want to make sure that you're not just getting scammed. And, and it could be hard. Uh, to... Well, I think there's a big difference. I think there's a big difference between someone who is ambitious and creative and someone who is ambitious and creative and has a plan. Uh, I think anybody could be an idea guy, right? Like anyone can sit and point at things like, why don't they make this? Give me a bunch of money and I'll figure it out. There's probably a reason why someone hasn't done that. You know, there's there's probably hurdles that you haven't even approached or thought of. So what what we were doing with the book is obviously not a new idea. People have been creating setting books for their world for for, you know, as long as there's been D&D &D or TTRPGs. Um, but I think having an actual plan and more importantly, a budget that you stick to is tremendously important for any project you, where you're requesting someone else's money for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like just look at TV shows or movies or anything like that. All those credits that nobody reads. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> go watch any Marvel movies credits and it's, it's reels of just you know, effects designers and location scouts and like it, things you'd never even think of. Yeah. Yeah. At least 20 people to run, run the budget and, and, uh, all the, the producers and stuff, you know, funding, getting funding basically means that it almost inherently means that you need to hire more people because you yeah. got more funding <laughs> Yeah, because you need to be able to produce what you said you were going to produce to your investors uh, and not only that, but <clears throat> knock their socks off with it so that they keep investing in you. Yeah. Because it's, you know, that that's how you get returns and stuff as an investor. I don't know a whole lot about, you know, 
uh, the stock market or anything. So don't like quote me. But, oh, like, dude, me just either. logically, just logically speaking, it's it sounds like that's how it's supposed to work. Uh, it's like I give you money, you give me more money back. Like, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I I think yeah, uh, just based on what you've described, it sounds like this was a very professional endeavor, and I think that's awesome. Right now, I am. Honestly, I'm working on my own OGL right now. I don't expect to like produce it anytime soon. It's probably going to take me like 10 years to complete it. But, uh, it, you know, that's just because I'm working, you know, my other job. This isn't my full time job. And, uh, also, I don't know everything about my world yet. Uh, that's, you know, part of the thing about writing is that, you know, you get down on paper so that you finally have something you can refer to. So what we have, what, yeah, and, what we have, John and I, uh, and Adam now, he's he's been working on that, uh, are reference documents, basically, for our campaigns. So we found a lot of value in giving our players access to essentially a PHB for our custom world with variant rulings, uh, you know, race choices, lore, things like that, uh, the countries and all that stuff, so that when we talk about them in-game, they can refer back to that uh, if they have like questions or if there's something they want to do with their character in the world that might not have come up yet or something like that. And so uh, we we aspire to transform those reference documents into OGLs. Uh, but you know, it's going to take a while, of course. <laughs> so that was like a bit of a, I guess it was a bit of a selfish question. Personally, I was like, Oh, how no. did you do it? How did you succeed? <laughs> and it's a thing I was, I uh, just a thing I was asking, uh, other creators too. Like I've been, okay. I've been lucky enough to, uh, do panels and stuff at Dragon Con with people like, you know, Keith Baker and, and Robert Schwab and stuff like that. So you better believe I was picking their brain about like, it's like, what's it like to do that kind of thing? Like, what should we expect? And what, and, and having that kind of insight is invaluable because before we did, uh, before we did our book, we went to Kickstarter and it's like, okay, here's what we need. And then someone, you know, a group of people hands you a lump sum of money and it's like, okay, now we got to turn this money <laughs> into artwork and layout and stuff there were there were 40 artists attached to the book at one point because it takes time to make art it takes time you have to have cartographers to make maps you have to have you know there's so much and it it was way more than just two or three people working on this by the end of it there was there were a team of of writers there was a team of people you know, spell checking everything and cross referencing oh, yeah. everything. And good Lord. Continuity is the bane of creativity because you have a million ideas going through your head all the time mm -hmm. and you want to get every single one of them to work somehow because they all see, seem like such good ideas. And they probably are just because like, or just from a, a, a creative uh, storytelling standpoint, even. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes they just don't really fit together. <laughs> they just, uh, the puzzle pieces aren't, uh, they aren't there. And so you just put that, put that on the shelf, look at it once in a while and say, can I use it now? And then it's like, nope, definitely not. <laughs> and I think that's why people create like nine or 10 settings. And I, yeah. part of the fun of my job is 
going through, I, I've had years to develop stuff, but like going through and seeing how this one creature on a continent might affect the rest of the people on that continent and how they would, you know, what's day-to-day -day life like? And that continuity question comes up every time you create something because it's like, okay, well, if you, if you have a spell or if you create a class and it breaks the rest of the world, you have to ask yourself, it's like, well, why would people ever like to me in the standard player's handbook, you could play a druid. And there's a spell in there that if you cast it every day uh, for a year, all the crops in like a 16 mile radius have an overabundance of growth. So then the question is, why the hell wouldn't every farm in the world hire a druid? Why would there be any hunger ever? Like, why is that a thing? So I, to me, I think that's a spell that like conceptually neat idea, but it kind of breaks your world. If you want to tell a story about, you know, uh, like, oh, well, we're worshiping uh, Melora because we want the crops to come in really good this year. It's like, just hire a druid. Just go down the street, <laughs> find a druid, hire them. Yeah, yeah, that is, that's really interesting. That's something John and I have both uh, employed in our uh, custom worlds is the idea of using druidic magic for agricultural purposes. Uh, and like as a, even just like as a society, relying on druidic magic for, for agriculture. Uh, I, I totally forgot about that spell. So I'm going to have to take <laughs> that into account. Um, but the... It's really interesting, the implications of certain classes, like just the fact that uh, warlocks exist or wizards, for that matter. Wizards exist. Where Wizards are intelligence-based casters. Where do they learn these things? So you create a magician's tower or like an academy or something like that. And just just by asking a few simple questions, you really start to flesh out that world. And, and it, it makes it so much more immersive. But also you need to make sure that you frame it in such a way that it can still be played and it hasn't turned into an actual, like, fiction novel. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, I think the most helpful question is what are the first few things players are going to ask? Like, if they're just writing a little backstory, it's like, okay, well, like, where would I live? How would I, how would I live? What job would I have? Would I do, you know, that type of thing. There's, there's, there's a set like 10 questions that players ask usually just to kind of get a feel for that. And those are the first few things you're going to have to think of. Cause obviously that's what you're going to be asked about the most. Then you can go into the, you know, the, the myriad of questions about the history of that thing or um, how it functions with, you know, monks or whatever you could point yeah. to anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, even sometimes when you're making these, you still make a mistake and you don't realize it because even if you have 40, 40 editors looking at, you know, oh, to yeah. make sure continuity and stuff, sometimes stuff just slips by and, and it happens like, uh, I think, uh, healing spirit, uh, especially for, for wizards of the coast material, uh, healing spirit was like really overpowered. They had to print an errata actually to, wow. to change it because it used to be, I'm pretty sure it used to be this way where you could um, basically have the healing spirit stand there and then a player could just kind of run back and forth through the space because the wording of it was every time a, every time 
uh, a creature, I think it had to be an ally or something. But every time your ally runs through or enters the space of the healing spirit, they gain 1d6 hit points back. And you could maximize, at maximum cast level, you could get 10d6 charges on this. And so people would just be like, healing spirit, and then just run back and forth a couple of times, you know, only using like five feet of movement every time you run through. So, uh, and then you heal up like 46 and it's way better than cure wounds or way better than mass healing word or anything, or just power word heal. Like <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's insane. And so they changed it and made it so that, um, it only works like once per turn and it has to occupy their space like at the start of their turn. Or if they enter the space for the first time on their turn, they heal something like that. And, and you can move it in a straight line. That's the same. But yeah, errata is definitely a thing that you need to be aware of because eventually somebody's going to find something in your world uh, that, totally. or in your game in general, <laughs> that's like, you know, this is kind of unbalanced or this is ki- this kind of doesn't make any sense. Like, because if these people are over here doing this thing, like, what about those other people that also do that thing? And, <laughs> you know, stuff like and that. And I think being prepared for that, like... Okay, if Wizards of the Coast can't put out a book with their massive teams working on stuff that doesn't have some kind of mistake, just take a look at Rangers. Like, yeah, I mean, they tried so hard. Yeah, and that's it. They're humans, right? Like, yeah, you better believe there's mistakes in our book, no matter how many hours we poured over it. Um, and it's it's one of those things that once it goes to print, you're like, okay, and then you find something the next day, you're like, oh, damn it! Like it's you know. There are going to be mistakes, and I don't yeah. think that that should be a limiter to people. Like, don't let that no, stop course. you from trying. Like, yeah, yeah. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to try just because you're always going to make some sort of mistake somewhere. Yeah, nothing's going to be perfect, especially with like copyright stuff. So, like, so you know, obviously that one is like that takes priority <laughs> in a lot of ways. Like, you need to make sure your copyright is uh, respected. Uh, or respecting Wizards of the Coast and other things that they do. Um, but sometimes something shows up, and in some cases, nothing happens because <laughs> Wizards of the Coast doesn't notice, or they don't care, like you said. Um, or, uh, you know, it can be the worst possible thing, and you'll have to... S- I, I don't know if you can... I don't know if you would have to, like, print a retraction or whatever, but you would have to immediately edit it out of your book. Uh, and you know, the worst worst possible scenario out of that I can see is that it affects the entire book. <laughs> that would that would be terrible. So yeah, it's you gotta be on your toes with that stuff, but um <clears throat> I think that's interesting. Uh you said there was an SRD website that you go to to check uh like terms and stuff. It's... Would you mind just stating it? Uh, yeah, actually, hold on. I could bring it up because it's, it's definitely something we used a lot. I wouldn't use this as like a legal, like, no, not, not, not a lawyer. <laughs> right. Exa- but... Yeah. That's basically what, yeah. Um, it's called 5esrd.com. Oh, really? Oh, I yeah. use that. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, I didn't know. And I mean, that's one of those things that's like, oh, oh, that's useful beyond just, you know, coming up with new monsters to use exactly. in your campaign or a monster that doesn't exist and you're like but what if it did and what would it look like and then somebody happens to have thought of it uh already yeah i use that all the time that's so cool i didn't i didn't think that i thought it was like one of those kind of unofficial things kind of like a wiki i i treated it as a wiki i guess 
And but... it does it, it does say like right at the top of the the homepage. It's like, hey, here's the intent is to just kind of give you an idea of what the guidelines are and stuff. It's not. I wouldn't present this in court, but it is a great first step to understanding like what they are. Because like, okay, um, obviously wizards can't own elves, dwarves, uh, stuff like that. They can own tieflings and drow. Um, they, you know, so there's there's a lot of little things that you just need to be prepared to change the names of or kind of tiptoe your way around. That's interesting. So. I didn't know they own the drow because uh, drow is a Scottish term, actually, um, which I mean, you know, this is like I, I might be wrong. But like when I was working with my friend the other day, because she's helping me with this world building and stuff, um, we were like, OK, so how are we going to do dark elves? Because like I we could just say dark elf, probably. But like everybody's going to probably say the word drow in our game. So <laughs> just like just because it's so easy. And so how do we work around this? And we looked it up and it's like, oh, drow actually is a Scottish term that used to mean troll. So they can't own the word drow. But maybe they own the word, they own the term drow in reference to dark elves, like that kind of thing. Like you can, you can take, uh, for example, Goliath, which is very copyrighted, but you can use that and use it in a different context and it'll be copyright safe as opposed to, you know, just using the race Goliath. Like it can't be the same race, but you can still call him Goliath or it can't, it can't, it can't be, um, Asimar. That, I feel like that's a very, very custom Wizards of the Coast thing, very proprietary. But if you uh, took the same concept of like a half angel or whatever, then you could use that and it's not infringing on copyright. So it's very, it's it's a bit of a minefield, but as long as you don't print it and make any money before you're checking to make sure that it works out, then you should be okay. And a lot of our <laughs> stuff was like, look, let's just start writing. And then as we find things, we'll just change the wording because it's so much easier to at least get started, get stuff down on paper. And then as we write about stuff, it's like, oh, I just found out that this, this, and this. And there, there, there's stuff that you're fuzzy on because, again, there is no document that Wizards puts out. Yes, there is the OGL. Even that is fuzzy on certain things. And they've gone after certain content creators to have them take their stuff down and left others alone for the same thing. It is arbitrary. It is based on how they feel that day or what they see or if they feel personally slighted or it, it, it's it's a big mess. It's tough to navigate. And even in the OGL, like you said, it can be very vague because they will say that uh, they will say that this setting like they'll they'll reference like Rhyme of the Frost Maiden or something like that. Uh and they'll say this is not you cannot use this in reference of any of your documents or anything that you make, but they'll still have the Fey be a thing. So you can still use like the Fey is not copyrighted, obviously, because it's traditional folklore. And and some of the things are obvious, some of them aren't. Uh under elves, if you i I've I've been spending a lot of time on elves, if you can't tell. Um <laughs> the under elves they talk about subraces for them and they say traditionally there's these kinds of elves there's the haughty elves that uh you know are really you know xenophobic basically uh and then there's the other elves that are very mysterious and you know accepting of other races and stuff like that and this is the high elf stat that we use you'll have to stat your own elves but they also say the word drow in the description of elves 
And so it's like, if you don't, but they don't tell you what a drow is in the OGL. So they reference it, but it's like referencing the PHB, right? So yes, and that and you, you can't, can't do, do that. that. No, you're no. not allowed to say as seen in the PHB page two hundred something. Nope. Uh, and and of course, I would never do that because that that's a big red flag for me. Is like definitely not going to do that. See, to me, if it so okay, if you were to say, if you put uh, some sort of variant spin on a rule in your world. And it's like, well, here's what we do in Theria, right? Um, but if you want to see the standard rules, reference PHB, page, blah, blah, blah. To me, that's getting people to buy the PHB if they already have it. And not, you know, obviously copying and pasting text from the PHB would be a no-no to me, but just saying the words PHB is, you can't. And I always thought that was weird. Like that was just, it's a strange rule. But I think it's also the reason when you play 90% of the fantasy RPGs out there, just just take video games. They always say Dark Elf and High Elf. They never say Drow or like Eladrin. Yeah, Eladrin is such a cool race, by the way, just to geek out a little bit there. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. And I like just based on my studies, I just graduated college. I took, you know, some nice gen ed courses and stuff to to help open me up to the world and its history. Um, I took a music history class and like when they, um, when they, when a lot of this like pop music was really starting to come out, there were a lot of legal problems because especially with like sampling and choosing to take certain phrases from certain songs and, and just like slice it into your song. And they were like, that's not copyright infringement or anything like that. And it's like, well, now you've opened up a whole legal debate. Like, what counts as, like, you know, your own music that you made? Can you make money off of this if you used other stuff from another artist at all? And, yeah. And so I think in this day and age, it's much harder to get around those things. I think early on, maybe like the 80s or something, I don't know what other... Honestly, I don't really know much other uh ttrpgs that would have been like D at the time of like the 70s when it was coming out but assuming there was it would have probably been much easier to navigate that kind of stuff uh than it is than it is today because everybody's so you know hardcore on like you cannot copyright infringe otherwise you're stealing from us essentially and uh you're stealing money you're stealing uh interest i guess uh you know like interest in the product um and so i agree i think like yeah you should be able to say my stuff is D D compatible my stuff is 5e compatible my my stuff is compatible with the php uh but you can't because they'll just they'll be on you as soon as you do it they'll be like nope you take that down right away <laughs> it is not okay <laughs> and and that sucks but at the same time you know it, it kind of is what it is when it comes to being like an actual business that wizards I, of the coast is i mean i understand why they're trying to protect their their in, property in, like I yeah get their intellectual that. property yeah yeah it just sucks that we can't all can't we all just get along <laughs> but, uh not yeah. when there's money on the table nope. yeah apparently yes. not <laughs> <laughs> all right so that's about as much time as we have for this particular episode of behind the screens uh jason why don't you uh, give us a little bit of a bit of a plug for your channel 
Uh, well, we're Dungeons and Randomness. Uh, you can find us pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're housed on Spreaker, but we're obviously on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, yada, yada, yada. You know where to find us. Um, we release an episode a week, and we're all over the world of Theria. And if you want to learn more about that, you can visit our website at dandrpodcast.com. And we have a huge wiki there. We're on World Anvil. We've, yeah, there's there's tons and tons of stuff to catch up on. Awesome. And if you guys are interested, uh, this has been Ian from DM Shower Thoughts, where we find our best selves through gaming. If you're interested in finding more content from us and more discussions on the philosophies of D&D, uh, especially like looking at what D&D means to people and how it helps us improve in our lives, uh, you can find us at DM Shower Thoughts on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, uh, and pretty much anywhere that you can get your podcasts. We are also on YouTube now. I've been uploading a lot of a lot of content, trying to catch up to the manga, as I said earlier, uh, for my um for the video part of it so that that has our faces and everything and if you're interested in reading some of our stuff you can check us out over at adamstrakeproductions.com and at uh, dmshowerthoughts.com as well and of course on patreon at dmshowerthoughts uh you can check out some of our content over there we release uh weekly episodes more or less (laughs) sometimes sometimes things happen but uh, we release weekly episodes and we get uh, early access content to all of our patrons and we also have a patron tier where we are kind of like your uh, your pocket DM so to speak where if you have some some questions or you're interested in uh, having some help from some of our uh, experience we'll be happy to do so <laughs> so yeah thank you guys so much for listening and please game responsibly see you next time <laughs>I strive to defend Nui Zatalos and live up to my role as a spiritual leader. I journey to increase my knowledge of the cusp and cosmos. It has been prophesied that there is destiny in my blood. I fight for the honor of the name Steadyhand and the great kingdom of Firdirth. I wanted to find my true place in the world. I will protect my home and family at all costs. A young ruler's grasp for power threatens an already fractured world. Meet the heroes in Arc 2 of Advantage, a 5th edition D&D audio drama. Find us on all podcast apps.